0: All right, this shit better work. Candyman, 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 Candyman. Ah! There you is. Oh shit, I've been looking for your ass. God damn it. Yeah, 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 that's right. Where's my $200? Uh,
1: you know where your $200 is. Is
0: Is it in whatever pocket dimension you seem to disappear to whenever I need my money?
1: You know, I I can't I can't tell you that I can't I can't give you specificity there. Oh
0: oh okay. Well, what I'm gonna need you to do is to specify where my 200 at and run that right now. I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of you running away,
1: disappearing I, for for. I ain't running. I ain't no, I ain't running. Candyman oh. don't run from nobody. Okay? Get, okay. Let's get that straight first. Okay. So then. Why is
0: it that every time I look around for my $200 from the Candyman, it's not
1: here? You What's know what? That? You know what? I'm going to tell you like this. I spent that $200 on this coat that you're looking at right now. You see this coat? This is the $200 that has built a legend.
0: Well, you need to get that $200 back. Whoever sold you that dusty-ass coat ripped you off. I, I'm not a not- ghost, man.
1: I can't go back to the store and act like, hey, hear- here's my ghost receipt, sir. I don't He's this- not going to take that. Enough of this ghost
0: shit. You know what? Some of us are still alive. Some of us bro. have bills to pay. Some of us have child support to pay. So I'm going to ask you one more time, and don't try to kill me like last time because that was some bullshit. I'm not yeah, jumping out yeah, another one. You window. can get this hook,
1: bro. You could get this hook. Hold on, what the fuck is that? Are you are you disappearing? Well, I just hey, I, I, I'm a busy ghost. You heard of Candyman? There's there's five movies about me, bro. People are doing this all day. I gotta go. There's like two white kids in Wichita, Kansas doing it Mother right bro. now.
2: God, son of a bitch you man
3: you can't save us we don't want to be saved you can't save us we don't want to be saved you can't save us we don't want to be saved you can't save us we don't want to be saved you can't save us we don't want to be saved you can't save us
1: we don't want to be saved you can't save us
3: we don't want to be saved
1: can't save us we don't want to be saved.
0: Yo, welcome everybody to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is the podcast that deconstructs the white saver myth in film and then recontextualize it through a black and POC lens. And we have a, a special episode for you today. This is a special bonus episode because we're gonna talk about Candyman, which is basically the thesis of our show. It is a movie that in a lot of ways, very much so is a white saver film, uh, came out in 1992. And then recently, this past week, the new version came out directed by nia da costa um and produced by jordan peele and it it takes that movie and recontextualizes it through a black lens so we're we're doing the thing in real time in real life and what we wanted to do was have a less of a what our normal episodes are and more of a roundtable kind of discussion because I think there's a lot of things to talk about and I really want to talk about this movie one with with other black people because I feel like it's 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 one of those things where you know like if we all saw it in a theater and then we left and they were all standing in the lobby and like talking about it like you know I'm, I'm definitely missing that but also I think it's important to have nuanced discussions about these movies not specifically because you know it's about tearing them down or building them up or anything like that but more so because I feel like so often we we get into these spaces where either things are held up as like this is the greatest thing that's ever been done or torn down as like this is the worst thing that's ever been made and like there's not a lot of that middle ground where I think this movie to give a little bit of my opinion away like it was kind of a mixed bag for me like there are the things that i liked, there are things that i had questions about and wasn't quite clear on and and would have liked more of but we have some very special guests today
1: uh i guess i guess i won't i won't skip over you cameron cameron go ahead <laughs> and say hello <laughs> to the people what did what to do y'all What to do y'all it's cameron mason here uh why am i talking like this is my first time uh hey guys <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're here. We saw the movie, I think, like Jordan. I'll even share my opinion ahead of time. Uh, I think it was a mixed bag, but more of an entertaining effort than I expected. Um, but we have our two guests to help us break that down. Don't we, Jordan?
0: Yes, we, we have two critics with us today who both have some great thoughts and reviews out there about Candyman. You can read them online. First up is Valerie Complex, who wrote a review for Den of Geek. Valerie is a film critic, screenwriter, a lot of, lot of other great things, doing a lot of great work. Valerie, how are you doing?
3: I'm enjoying the nighttime sounds of New York with the police sirens in the background. All niggas screaming on the street. <laughs> oh, Den you too? So, yeah, it's like the Harlem Symphony outside. Yeah. So if you hear that in the background, the whoop-de-whoop, that's just record spinning. <laughs>
0: Um, and we also have Charles Pulliamore uh, of IO9, formerly of NPR Code Switch. A lot of other great things. Charles, how are you doing?
2: I'm very good. How are you guys? I'm very, um, very cool to be talking to you guys. And I also want to echo Valerie's statement. You hear um, that bachata in the background. That's Washington Heights. It lives here with me. I live here with it. So, you know, the noise is just going to be here.
0: Yeah. You know, in Baltimore, you would think there would be more noise, but I really don't get uh, a ton of crazy just like background. Like, it's more like <laughs> the second you step outside, you get that. Like once you're in the street, you're just like, oh, OK, yeah, this is happening. But uh, <laughs> for the most part, I tend to avoid that, at least in my I'm on the fourth floor. So maybe that has something to do with it. Um, but yeah, I, I think where I want to start with the conversation is with the original Candyman, because it's it's very interesting to think about that film in the context of it being seen and viewed as a, as a black film. It's like on the, all the, the greatest black horror lists, it is viewed as a seminal black horror film. And yet it is written by a white person, directed by a white person. Uh, one of the of the stars of the movie and the, the view that you're seeing it through is Virginia Madsen, a white woman. And so I, I think it's, it's very, to me, like, interesting the way that that movie not only was received but the legacy that it's continued to have because it is our movie like we don't really have any other black horror films in which we get to be the boogeyman the uh the the monster as it will but like the way that candy man was presented was not really like a mon- like a freddy krueger or like a you know jason voorhees or that kind of monster but it was more of a romantic phantom of the opera dracula like you know specter that not only just I like the
1: comparison. I like yeah. the theatrical comparison. I I, I believe that a hundred percent though.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what really attracted black people in particular to Candyman, not just because he was black, but because it wasn't like, you know, because at the same time you had like Leprechaun in the Hood and like all these other movies that happened to us <laughs> that were like not what we were looking for. You know, there's people could get. Enter- <laughs> we
1: didn't ask for that. Yeah,
0: people could get entertainment value out of that, but that's definitely not like the kind of movies that we were trying to get and then even you know more so you have things like you know people under the stairs which oh, yeah. you know we're like okay yeah this is cool like this is this is a movie that we can get down with it was it's a wild movie um but it is something that's kind of speaking a little bit more to us than say yeah like leprechaun in the hood and some of those other movies but i want to go i want to go around to everybody because i want to get everybody's initial experience with Candyman the movie and then also Candyman the character like what was your like first recognition of that first viewing of that movie first time kind of seeing that character
2: Mm. goodness I feel like I encountered the Candyman the character first Um, I don't really have a firm memory of when I actually first saw the film like when I was a kid but I definitely like heard versions of the Story, uh, sort of like versions of like any story where there's a, a man with a hook hand. It was always the Candyman, right? Um, and I'm talking about like hearing stories like from other little black kids on the playground, like growing up in Washington D.C. And for me, in a way, you know, um, all hook-handed ghouls were conflated with the Candyman for a long time, and I was aware that you know, oh, like there's a Candyman movie. The way that there's like movies about Dracula, you know, it's like oh, it's like a vampire movie, sure. Um, but it wasn't until, like, I actually saw the film and got a sense, like, oh, no, the Candyman is, like, his own particular kind of presence within the the slasher ghoul canon. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Valerie, what about you?
3: Um, my, my first introduction was when the movie came out in 92, and I went to go see it um in the theater with my dad or whatever and it scared me I mean it genuinely scared me mm-hmm. Um, you know I was just be hearing Candyman voices in in, in my bedroom scared to look in the mirror my mom's just like that's why you don't go see no damn movies like that because now I got to cover the mirrors all this foolishness and so I remember it having a very strong reactions in terms of the horror factor and just in the charismatic way that Tony Todd sort of navigated the role as an adult and I read when I rewatched it I was like this is horrible like (laughs) it was like this is so garbage but it's but Tony Todd still manages to to outlive the the legacy that has been set for the character um because the character is in an is infinitely better than the movies Mm. that he is in. I don't know if any of you have seen all three of the Candyman movies. They are bad.
2: Yeah, I watched all three of them in order to sort of like prep myself for this one or for for DaCosta's film because it's both, you know, a sequel and kind of a reboot at the same time, right? It's sort of trying to continue the original story, which to your point, probably like while flawed, Tony Todd is just, you want to see more of This world. You want to, not necessarily this world, you want to see more of like a world in which this character exists. Um, And so it's like, you go and watch the other two films, and it's like, okay, so we're just going, so we're going further down into the South, we're going down to Louisiana, and we're going to get really just sort of maudlin with the nonsense of it all and really start to gravitate, gravitate, uh, just like to drift away from what sort of felt like the accidentally. compelling premise of the original right like you were talking earlier about how um so much of this story is rooted in the imaginations of white men right from the original short story that was written by a white man um to um, the creative team that was attached to this first film um, and with each Candyman film you do sort of see the gradual um push to sort of try to make him into one of these just not cookie cutter necessarily but sort of Um, just an easy box office draw that's supposedly going to somehow pull in the black audience that, you know, we're making this a cult classic at the time. Um, But as they were sort of making that grab, it's like, well, let's just sort of indiscriminately slash at white people in ways that sort of miss the point of what made the original really interesting. Um,
0: Yeah, there was just a quick aside. There was, when Freddy versus Jason was happening and that was like, you know, a big thing and they were trying to figure out, oh, how could we kind of capitalize this on this and keep this going? There was a suggestion of Candyman versus Leprechaun. Like that was a the thing they were thinking of doing for real. And Tony Todd said, no, like I'm not making this movie. I want nothing to do with this movie. You all can make this movie, but you're not going to have me in it. And that ultimately killed mm-hmm. the movie. But like, to your point, yeah, I think that's that's kind of what, all of these franchises kind of devolve into, right? Like at a certain point, even you think about the original Halloween. Like at a, at a certain point, Michael Myers is just a cartoon character, like the rest of them. Like he's just stalking mm-hmm. and killing
1: people, but um, <laughs> he's Cameron, still doing it. As yeah, you he's, can he's, see he's in the trailers for Candyman.
0: I'll, I'll hear all these years later, still still stalking these people, still stalking.
1: Um, Cameron, what about you? What was your first interaction with with Candyman? I, I guess it was kind of the same. You. You know, you heard about the legend around around the neighborhood from the other kids, the other little black kids from my school, Um, and it was kind of more nebulous in that sense, where it was just you you know you're hearing this legend about Candyman, and I really didn't even associate it. I was like five at the time when the movie came out, so I didn't really necessarily associate it with a movie I was trying to go see or anything like that. But hearing about a person that. You said his name five times and he came out of the mirror to kill you. I ain't even bro. I've been on the planet five years. I ain't even been associated with mirrors that long to know that there niggas living in there. <laughs> I, I don't I didn't want any of that. So it was already like terrifying, you know, as a thought. Yeah. Then I get to older age and I find out it's a movie. And I never really saw that movie. And actually, I finally saw the movie under my own volition before you and me ever came up with this podcast mm-hmm, during mm-hmm. Uh, uh, before during the pandemic. And watching it in that context, I enjoyed like the Easter egg aspects of it. You know, like, so Casey Lemons is co-stars in the original film, who's a you know made a name as a director herself directing Eve's Bayou and the blockbuster smash hit Caveman's Valentine uh oh, i thought you were going to say harriet <laughs> oh no I, I i i can't come for harriet yet i can't come for it yet <laughs> yet uh but i uh i saw you know i saw her in that i saw Vanessa Williams in it you know and i also enjoyed that it was like kind of wild as like a movie, you know, you got this guy with like actual bees on his face. A story I came to found out that, uh, he worked it into his contract that he could get, that he would get stung by these bees, right? He's getting stung by these bees. So he asked the crew every time I get stung, that's another thousand dollars on my check. He racked up $23,000 off of this clause in his contract. That's crazy.
0: Good good how dedicated.
1: He was man. I was with it. I was with it good lawyers but but as a as a black horror movie and as a horror movie in general i was like entertained thoroughly entertained sold by tony todd's charisma uh and i thought it was something kind of like this neat little like treasure box of the 90s that i hadn't opened yet Mm -hmm. you know what i mean
0: yeah for me i i didn't see the movie until i was an adult but like I think like like all of us as a kid, like Candyman was just like a like a omnipotent figure that just kind of right? existed He's like there or like everything <laughs> else. Um, and for, like for me, like the three scariest things when I was a kid, first was quicksand. And then once I outgrew quicksand, it was spontaneous combustion. And then once oh, I-, oh, I heard about that. <laughs>
1: that, that, no, legit, that's one of my top five fears. Then that was definitely one of my top five fears. But spontaneous combustion, it could just happen. Like as oh, a kid, you. You hear those two words and you're just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it makes you check yourself again. Yeah. You're just Uh, like, wait, huh?
0: For real? Okay, go ahead. But then, like, just all the things that you're absorbing, right? Specifically as a kid in the 90s, like, yeah. Chucky, um, Freddy Krueger, and Candyman, right? Like, Chucky, like, my toys are gonna kill me. Like, that's terrifying. Uh, (laughs) Freddy Krueger, like, this dude is gonna come into my dreams and kill me. Like, that's terrifying. Um, but Candyman was was a little bit different because it's like Tony Todd just from the look of him like sans hook hand and all that stuff it's like he kind of looks like a dude you know right like in the neighborhood or like an uncle or like like
1: there's something familiar about Tony Todd uh and the way that I think that's what lends itself to the myth honestly yeah it's like that he could be a guy you know Tony Todd doesn't look like Denzel Washington he doesn't look like Wesley Snipes or anything like that he's like beat up a little bit like the guys from your neighborhood yeah a random guy that could just like fuck you up
0: <laughs> right and so like you know it, it was it was very feasible for a kid to point over there and just be like that's candy man like he, there he is like he's coming for us um <laughs> and so and just uh, that you know everybody i'm sure had that moment where they're at a sleepover and somebody was like candy man like we're, we're gonna go into the bathroom and do that and like i was never like i was never you can never talk me into that, that Bloody Mary, anything else like that. But it it had, it really got a life of its own, right? Like Candyman, the idea, the concept was bigger than the movie, right? Like the movie was successful, but like the mm-hmm. lore and the legend of Candyman, so much to the fact, right? That like black academics were getting on Clive Barker and um, the director of the movie, because they're like, you're appropriating, you know, black Black mythology and folklore, and they're like, no, we made that shit up. Like that's not the <laughs> Candyman well, is not real. The,
3: the, what a lot of people don't know is that Clive Barker sort of derived the Candyman story from something that actually happened in Cabrini Green to a woman right. named mm-hmm. Ruthie Jean McCoy. Mm-hmm. And there's this, um, there's a write-up by author uh, uh, Steve Bogira. Um, Which I think is the one that I, uh, that I read, which was called, they came in through the bathroom mirror and um, Cabrini Green was poor, white people didn't care about the environment. So Ruthie Jean was a woman in her fifties who had schizophrenia and, you know, was sort of known as the, you know, the building quote unquote crazy or whatever. And there were a lot of abandoned apartments in her building, Cabrini Green, drug dealers and drug users would go in um, these abandoned apartments and do whatever, because the infrastructure was so um, insufficient and broken down, like they were breaking into apartments through various means through walls or whatever. But Ruthie Jean, once she started to get her life together, she was gonna go back to school. She was taking her medicine and everything. She started complaining about noises um, in the apartment next door and tapping on the bathroom mirror because nobody looked into it, nobody mm-hmm. did, said anything. And eventually, uh, some folks came in through the bathroom mirror and shot her. And um, the police sort of ha- mishandled the case as well because she got shot. People on the floor heard the gunshots, took forever for the police to come. Police came, knocked on the door. She didn't answer. That was their answer. She didn't answer, so they left. And then the build, the floor started to smell and the police came back and they found her dead so I say all of that to say the story I can see why the N double, you know all, all these people got involved in sort of chastising Clive Barker because he literally took the story of a woman's death and tried to capitalize on it with a fictional character who is a, a a black man, and this is this is the reason why I don't love Candyman as much as I used to when I was a kid. Because I think it, it, it I don't know for some reason it feeds into this thing about black on black violence that I that I I don't know. I guess I just made that up in my head or whatever. But um, it says something when I know in the film you know he's killing a little bit of everybody. I guess he's killing white folks and black folks and stuff but I think the real terror was him like the black community was generally afraid of him Mm -hmm. in the film Yeah, and I think that was what was powerful about the first film and while I'm glad it's in like black hands now I do think it makes an interesting point about blackness in relation to whiteness um, like, I I I feel like if I'm a generational curse, if I'm a ghost, wouldn't I go after the people who who did me wrong? Why why am I killing my own people? They had nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. it left a lot of questions open as to like what what is the pur- what is the purpose of Candyman? What is he there to
1: do? Like, what's his motive? Like, what's his actual right. motive? Yeah, and I,
3: that he's an artist and he wants. You know, be my victim. His next art project, whatever, whatever. But all three of the early films, he goes after the same woman, the same type. Not only just white women, but they all kind of look the same, same blonde hair, blue, like looking white women, and it's just so baffling as to why they would go with that narrative specifically. I, I still don't. I still. There's still elements of the first one that I just don't get in addition to it being slow and boring and poorly written, but.
2: Now, see, I feel like I have to push back here because I kind of fundamentally disagree with this read. I think there is something like, I think that uh, I understand where the criticism like, well, why wouldn't, because it'd be like, let's get into it. Cause I feel like the criticism, like well, why does Candyman hurt black people? Valid question. Um, I think that part of the reason that the Candyman um, immediately for some people became um, sort of like a shoe in for the great horror, Figures is because he's um, a character who plays by you know, ghost logic, right? So he's not exactly coming back to an exact, a specific kind of vengeance. I'm applying like a read here that a lot of people have since come back to the film with in retrospect, but if we look at Candyman as um, this black man, the son of a slave who was murdered for his relationship with a white woman, right? That is you know, the central injustice that ends his life and sort of gives birth to this curse And the curse that he embodies, while it is sort of explicit, is not something that any character throughout any of these films um, has ever really sort of been able to put their finger on with the sort of clarity that we as an audience are. right. We are understanding that the Candyman is this recurring manifestation of a trauma that, in this newest film, Um, we see is not unique to any one particular black man, but in this original film, it is this one man's pain sort of coming back, and he does explain what he wants, right? He's like, why am I killing innocent people? He's like, I want people to remember who I am and what happened to me. Now, the whole killing thing is like, well, you know the rules about this. I want you to tell people about me. I didn't ask you to call for me, right? And it's people's inability to differentiate between the two, um, be it willfully or through accidents that lead to them being harmed, and while... I think it's definitely valid to sort of say, oh, well, it is hard to sort of grapple with this sort of, uh, this depiction of a black man brutalizing other black people. Valid. Um, the film is about like, all right, like what 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 does happen when a curse lives on and sort of has to lash out from the beyond? Is it going to do it in a really exacting, precise way? Um, most ghost movies don't work that way, right? And I think to... But come at Candyman with that kind of expectation is a little unfair. Um, it's like, oh well, like why didn't he come a list and like ready to like give receipts? And it's like, well, most ghosts don't work that way. Or rather, like in the release for Candyman, that's not what his mo is, right? It's sort of cause a wide swath of destruction, which I think is certain something that the first film gets the best of the original um, trio, and you know the latter two films it starts. With, well, I'm gonna go for her daughter, and it's very like, no, 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 like like let's let's not go there. Um, and the new film, I think the new film understands that about the original. DaCosta, in sort of shifting the focus to um, a group of, uh, a black group, um, th- uh, she understood that the film has to sort of reckon with the fact, like the fact that the Candyman does hurt black people. What does it mean as sort of like, as the, as the protagonist of the story, the people who arguably bring the Candyman back into the fore what does it mean to sort of play a role in bringing that kind of violence back into cabrini green and i think like that's an interesting question to ask right um, if the violence that we're talking about is you know a way of talking about what role do uh, like upwardly mobile black folks who do par- like play a role in gentrification in neighborhoods like cabrini green like what do like how do we think about that those are like that like, like that's fertile ground to sort of go into but i don't think that the new film sort of executed that exploration all that well
3: and that's what like makes the first one scary right and I, and I, I I agree with you um but I th- I think that what's interesting about the first film is that they the people who could Green managed to keep candyman at bay because mm. they don't say it right right um so you know him being brought back by this white woman is kind of what's fascinating because she is sort of an interloper in this environment who just reeks, you know, with her being nosy and just not listening as people uppity people like that tend to do when they're in those environments. um, She just, she caused pain and chaos within the community unintentionally.
2: No, I mean, I I totally forgot, but it just came back to me. I wrote a piece about this a couple of weeks ago about how to read, to watch Candyman and to see Helen as the protagonist and only as a protagonist is to fundamentally misinterpret the movie, right? She, long before, right, long before she ends up becoming, you know, Uh, the candy woman right which is i think that is truly the goofiest part of the film like like that's when that's when the film is like okay like truly like y'all almost did something but this was dumb Dumb. y'all had a bunch of ideas and then y'all like
1: whiffed it at the end yeah
2: right but even before her interest in semiotics starts sort of like peripherally drawing um you know him into the into the focus she's a parasite of a kind right she even though she is firmly grounded in academia um, and the film, I feel... Well, I want to get to this in a sec. The film, sort of, like, in, in, her, in your introduction to her, she's like, oh, she's a woman, and she's struggling in academia in a, in a male-dominated profession, and no one takes her seriously. And her avenue to success is to mine the local black community with her black friend, right? And she's going to show the men in the room, and it's like, I mean we would now identify that as, you know, some girl boss shit. But it's like, sis, like, you're a vulture, like, in, you know, in very explicit kind of ways. And, I think and that, you've wreaked havoc on people as a result of your, right. your bumbling and, and stumbling. Something that is perhaps accidentally brilliant about the way that the Candyman's Black, the movie's Black residents sort of guard themselves against him.
3: Yep, you, know, I'll, you I'll, I'll can say that.
2: <laughs> you can you can read it as sort of like, and I think that I think that this is probably what was going on. Like, oh black like black people don't snitch, right? Like, oh like that's one way to interpret it. But at the same time, there is this way in which you can read their refusal to speak about him, particularly to outsiders, although you know the movie does have these black people who are like, Come on in, sis, like we'll tell you all about him. But you can read that almost as a way of the community understanding look. We understand amongst us what the deal is, right? it's here, we know how to avoid it, cool. The real danger in talking about it isn't actually, oh, he's going to pop out the mirror, but it's the word is going to get out and the fascination is going to draw all kinds of people who have no understanding or de- or desire to understand, you know, our folk ways that we've used to survive over the years to live with this trauma that we cannot undo because we were not the people who caused it, right? I think that that is... That's definitely not necessarily
1: the intentionality that went to the film, right? Like that is something that- No, I love that you said it was like by mistake. I yeah, love that you said right. this mm-hmm. is like kind of the accidental um, uh, presentation of that first movie yeah, because she I... really does just like enter the situation, right? Yeah. She doesn't even live there. She doesn't even live in this neighborhood. It's and not a movie. neighborhood
3: she would normally even go it's to on a regular right. basis. she wouldn't
1: even be anywhere near it in any other circumstance, right? Hey, yo, I got a book. Let's read about it. It's well, so fascinating.
0: And the thing about it, too, <laughs> yeah. is like Bernadette is very much so like, yo, we look like
1: cops right now.
0: Like, yo, like this is we not- don't, We
1: shouldn't <laughs> be here like this
0: you know you're 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 going into this like a woman died in here like this is actually very disrespectful what's happening right now just the way that you're (laughs) moving around this person's you know how and like you see just how cavalier Helen is in that movie just the way that she not only like she sits down next to an unattended child and just starts having a conversation with him (laughs) just starts like coercing him into like like showing her around and like telling her all these things and it's very wild to watch that movie again now specifically after having seen the new movie which i think part of the interesting thing too is how they kind of spin helen in the movie because in the beginning when you know the brother is is, is retelling the story of what happened with with helen it's kind of like oh this crazy white woman like came up in cabine green and was like just whiling out like she killed a bunch of people, she chopped up this woman's dog, like she stole a baby, she tried to run it into a burning fire like and then we and then we stopped her from doing that, right? And right. you can definitely see how even in the the how a myth, you know, takes root and then begins to expand, like how that would eventually become the story, right? Like yeah, like you, you want to hear the story about this crazy woman that came to cabrini Green one time? Like, <laughs> that came I, up in our neighborhood, you know, like it's 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 very interesting with that first movie too. I think just in the conversation about why does Candyman kill black people, and the conversation of why are we are are we seeing Helen as this focal point? And I think it just comes back to this is a movie made by white people who probably weren't even thinking about any of these things, right? Like they weren't thinking about black violence and black death right. right like they were thinking about well candy man's got to kill somebody right and like well who, who who would it be scariest to see him kill oh he's going to kill helen's best friend right and it, and the way that it is kind of like posited in that film is you get these back and forth cuts where it's kind of like well did helen kill these people like under the compulsion of Candyman or like the Candyman actually kill these people and like Helen's just witnessing it because it's not until she's in the psychiatric facility that she like invokes Candyman to like kill for her or like help her and free her. So like the other times Candyman is kind of coming in and like, she's just blacking out and waking up in, you know, a pool of blood and like people have died. Cause I think it's also true when you think about just the neighborhood, right? Like, Bernadette she does not finish the Candyman right like they're saying it in the mirror it's kind of a joke and the further they like the closer they get to five she's like no like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cross that line Helen, though, the habitual line stepper right like she's gonna do it he's not <laughs> every time she's not she's not afraid of it and that kind of plays out too in the new one right where like who, who are the people who say Candyman well, it's, it's these white people who kind of look at it as not just a myth, but like, it's, it's a fun thing to do. Like it's goofy. Right. And the people of Cribini Green are like, Oh no. Like I, you just never
1: say that. Why would you like literally two completely different reactions? Yeah. I think the cool thing about this movie is that it's like a thesis on like minding your business. (laughs) Like I kind of distill it down to like, you know, these black people who live in the neighborhood, they know not to say Candyman. They know, Hey, like, don't even bring that here. And did you see what it did to the neighborhood? You can't even go in there anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Well, I and think anyone problem- who
1: invokes him is like a white teenager. Even the Asian teenager among the five girls in there is like, fam, I'm out. Yep. Not interested.
3: And I think that's why like yeah. Candyman at the end of the 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 you know, at the end of the most recent film was like, run tell that because y'all right, to forgot, tell everyone. Y'all forgot about me because, you know people are afraid to say anything so you know he wanted that that remembrance but it was it was really interesting because i was struggling with whether it was a message of like tell everyone the candy man's back or tell everyone about police about me i think in general it's about me it was a, a a combination of tell everybody about everything really I um, ending just, kind like, of baffling to me for some strange reason and I don't know maybe you guys have it you know mm-hmm. as we talk about it more I'll understand
2: yeah
0: I mean
3: I think it was pretty
2: clear like it's the same thing that he's always wanted and I don't really think that I think that people come to people definitely come to Candyman looking for social commentary and be like Candyman like like talk that talk right speak truth to power and Candyman isn't really a truth teller like that like that's not Candyman's function Candyman is like I am in the shadows. It's me. I am the whisper on the wind. All that, you know, poetic shit. And it's like, okay. like, And I'm like, and it's like, and Tony, and that's what we love about Tony Todd. Because Tony Todd, it's almost, it's very... I think, again, looking back at the original film, it's like there is a sensuousness to Tony Todd's performance that does feel very um, purposeful, right? It's like, it is, it, it, is,
1: it is an almost vampiric seduction. And the Candyman- It's him at the end yeah. who gives the line, tell everyone. It's like, it's, it's like the opposite of um, vampire logic where vampire logic is like, you have to invite them in. If they show up at your door, and Mm -hmm. you invite them in, then you've invited the vampire in, right? You've invited nonsense in and possible death, right? (laughs) Ghost logic or Candyman logic is just like, no, everybody knows the myth, right? Everybody knows the legend. Run tell that, like you said, Valerie. Tell them. Tell everybody. I don't care what you tell them, because as long as they hear about me, as long as they hear about the legend, then I get to wreak my havoc. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like not... It's not discriminatory you know? Black yeah. people just know because they know what's already been done to them, right? White people are just like, ooh, isn't that cute? And like, we'll have like a sleepover and then we'll all die by accident. Like, you know? I kind of want to talk to you guys about, because uh, I feel
2: like we, I think we're all in consensus that like, while there are a lot of good ideas and things to sort of forgive the motorcycle in the background, uh, things to sort of really love about Candyman, this film, the new film, it does ultimately just kind of not fully, I, th- well, actually, I think it does work in certain regards, right? I think that as a straight thriller you want to watch something that's going to make you jump and you're going to see some shit that you're really going to be like ooh, that looks terrible and painful and I really hope that never happens to me. It does that quite well, right? Um, and you know the whole cast is gorgeous and everybody's like fun to watch, but I think that as a sort of passing of the baton of the Candyman myth, it doesn't actually end up working all that much. Um, right? Like I feel like we haven't broken down, like, you know, this, we've got, you know, these upwardly mobile, um, upper-middle-class blacks, we've got an art gallery director, Tiana Paris, and we've got an artist, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, and they're like, we're young, we're gorgeous, we're black, we're in Cabrini Green, we're we're part of, you know, the revitalization, and they're, you know, the, the two kids, that, that couple's personality, their dynamics felt so flat throughout this film in a way that ultimately really kind of makes you know, the finale, right, he's the new Candyman, right, and she is the person who is going to go out and sort of tell the world about him after summoning him successfully, you know, to help herself. And you're like, well, okay, but we we understood what happened to um, the original Candyman. We sort of understood how, you know, his personal story um, sort of gave birth to this film. And in this new film, it feels more sort of like, I don't know. For all of its for all of its gorgeousness and all of its ambition, I couldn't help but sort of feel unsatisfied by mm, what felt like not a not a cheapening, but sort of just like it just it did end up feeling like the fourth movie in a se- in a series, right? The surprisingly well executed fourth movie in a series that by its third movie everybody had kind of been like, eh, I don't know about it, and it came back great, but this is definitely not the full revitalization that I think a lot of fans want it to be
0: well I think the biggest issue of the movie is that it does feel like it spends a lot of time grappling with the original film if it's like it spends a lot of time trying to undo some of those or answer some of those questions about well, why does Candyman kill black people or like what what is you know the the point or the purpose of Candyman trying to go back and recontextualize the myth and the idea of Candyman but so much of what happens is that you kind of so much is going on that I feel like they never really got a chance to to really bite into Mm -hmm. a specific idea and topic so case in point like one of the things I wanted to bring up is that like there's a lot of talk about gentrification in this movie but what we never really get is the the true horror of gentrification because gentrification is a real life horror that people experience in that like imagine b- being in a neighborhood that's changing so quickly around you that now you feel like the other in this place that you grew up like imagine living somewhere and watching you know these buildings get torn down and all of these places change around you in, the, in that way that like the history of your neighborhood is being erased. The history and the identity of who you are is being erased in real time in front of your eyes. You live in Baltimore, Jordan. You you should be able to tell us. It's it's, it's happening right now. And I think for (laughs) a lot of what you get in terms of like, you know, gentrification, bad, like, ooh, it's bad. What happened to Cabrini Green? Ooh, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these things, like one of the things about the original Candyman is that Cabrini Green, it is a gothic horror, right? Like original Candyman feels very much like a gothic horror and that Cabrini Green almost mm-hmm. acts as like that castle in a gothic mm-hmm. horror where it's like, you know, the, the container of all these terrible things
1: and like- I love that comparison.
0: Yeah, almost like a living entity where like Cabrini mm-hmm. Green in this movie- We talk about it, you know, like Anthony kind of walks through it, but specifically with the gentrification, it's like, well, who are these white people? Like who lives in Cabrini Green now? Who got moved out of Cabrini Green? Like what are their feelings about it? Because you get um, Coleman Domingo's character who kind of is supposed to be like the general surrogate of all the people who used to live in Cabrini Green, but it, he never really, gives you that feeling of like yeah like th- th- that claustrophobia right of like you know i i survived <laughs> all of this and like i'm this here collective now.
1: trauma that everybody right. else has gone through you know everybody else right. in this neighborhood has gone through
0: because he seems upset that like his neighborhood changed and his plan appears to be to create a new Candyman. uh to i guess like kill the
1: gentrifiers or you know, uh, something that to that That stuff felt nature. so vague and I was so sad yeah. about
3: it. um I think what I found alluring about the first Candyman is very much in the vein of the people under the stairs. It was this horror story that was told from the perspective of the poor, of mm. poor people and how poor people interpret myths and legends and how they internalize it and how they they sort of weave that into their daily life. Um, because for example, like People Under the Stairs is very much about gentrification, mm. but it's not preachy. We don't mm. need exposition to know that that's what it's about. And I think what scared me the most is like, okay, so it Candyman made things grounded for me. Things didn't have to exist in Crystal Lake or in the suburbs, they now exist in the ghetto and now yeah. Um, then that's where I'm from. So now it's time for me to be scared about something. Yeah. And I, the film, I think this newest film sort of takes away from that in a sense where I, I don't have a problem with, you know, people being upper middle class or whatever, but it was just something <laughs> about this particular movie where I was like, mm, I'd like to know what more poor people think um, or how how they would see something uh, something like this and also Coleman Domingo I don't know I just couldn't read him as a character at all like at William Burke it, it just it just it was just exposition he was just there to explain the things that the movie couldn't because of the time frame like he was there to explain the things in words that the film couldn't show because of the time yeah Um, because the film was so short um and that's that's sort of unfortunate because that sort of element came out of nowhere uh i was just like what are we doing with with him and with with all of this and i i'm just one of those people who finds exposition really annoying Oh, um, we
1: all um, yeah. you're a screenwriter you know it's, it's the hardest thing in the world to do in any movie honestly
3: they messed up they messed up in that area with coleman domingo in the uh, chemistry-free relationship between Yaya and you know, the pirate, Um which is unfortunate because you know they're both fantastic actors. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, yeah. I don't know. It just feels like they didn't have enough time to rehearse. Like I, I don't know, but something is something is missing there. Yeah. Well, because um, oh, sorry. go ahead, Charles.
2: Oh no, I think it's just really. I, I, it's funny you bring up the lack of chemistry. I think that in this being a movie that's about Um, upper middle class people, people for whom money is not quite as pressing a problem as it was for the people in the original Candyman. Um, there can be horror mind there, right? But in this situation you need to see more of their problems which I feel like should have been their relationships, right? Like I need to see more of your dynamic because the more you know, the more upperly mobile you become the more insular your world becomes, right? That is something that is sort of at play in this world because there is a removedness between Coleman Domingo and the rest of the cast that makes him feel like the chorus that lives in the desolated part of Cabrini Green but the film doesn't ever sort of try to help you make a mental map of physically where he is in relation to everybody else. I feel like you guys truly live on opposite sides of the city. You're telling me that you're butting up against each other, but I don't believe it. But with the relationship, I feel like both with um, Tiana Paris and um, Yaya, because of what's happening in this film, right? Like your partner's going through something. Um, they're going through some sort of mental breakdown that coincides with murder at a murder at a, at a gallery showing that they recently did at the gallery that you work at. You, your relationship needs to be falling apart more. You need there needs to be there needs to be some there needs to be some sort of energy between the two of you that reflects the fact that the most stable thing in your life, the bond that the two of you have made in this you know sort of financial bubble for yourself, is being torn asunder by a ghost that climbs out of you know mirrors and shit. Well, yeah, I mean,
1: 100%. I don't know. She did move out. She did move out. That's like a big deal.
0: But she also was not worried about his
2: hand at all.
0: Like no one was worried about
1: his hand at all. It was- I feel
2: like we all we all, we've all had like a hangnail and like you put a little band-aid around it and everybody is like, yo, what happened to your finger? And you like, yo, the door got me. Whereas this man has like necrosis through the arm and everyone's just like, Man, he's so fine. I the movie tries to play with this The movie has this moment where like the white librarian is like oh what's he doing and it's like sis there's pus coming out of his hand that's it's it's uh." (laughs) he ain't
1: the one dog (laughs) well
0: i i think a big missed opportunity in this movie because there's the the most confusing plot point to me about this this new film is that we see a scene after uh the the gallery owner is killed where tiana paris discovers the bodies and she's having a flashback to her father her father, you know, clearly having, you know, mental issues. And finally, like, it just commits suicide, jumps out a window, right? Jumps
1: out a window, yeah.
0: That plot point is never really come back to. And I feel like in terms of their relationship, right? Like, the, there's, there's a horror of, one, you know, being in a relationship with somebody who, it feels like you can't help them, right? Like, it feels like no matter what you do, It's just that you can't communicate with them. You can't reach them. Like this relationship that felt really close all of a sudden feels really distant and you don't know what's going on with them. You can't get through to them, right? Like there's a horror in that. There's also a horror in basically what's happening. They insinuate it, but they never really connect on it is that, you know, like her father, brilliant artist, you know, having, you know, some troubles eventually commit suicide, right? Like her current partner now, and she never, and she never faced that trauma, right? Like she never came back and examined that or kind of worked through that. It's just something that she's repressed and pushed away. And now her partner is going through a very similar thing. And it would have been very interesting to see her have to confront both of those things simultaneously, having to That's the actually time. come back to, what's going on with with my current partner but also this is echoing very you know seriously past traumas that now I have to confront because I think that's that's really my disconnect with the end of the movie is that it feels like everybody kind of is now a passenger in service of this larger narrative that they want to tell and like Coleman Mm. Domingo specifically why we don't get anything from him before is because he is now a plot device and a twist that's coming in the third act right like now all of a sudden we get this reveal of like oh coleman domingo he's actually kind of low-key the villain of this movie and he's gonna like do all this stuff and so you know we don't get a lot from him it feels like anthony at a certain point i guess just accepts that this is happening to him but he really loses all agency in the third act after his mom tells him who he is and that he just decides I'm gonna walk into Cabrini Green. Damn. The my boy like, gets
1: depressed. My boy just gets depressed, and he's like, yo, he my walked. hands gonna eat my body. Yeah, my like, face is like 30% beehive at this point. I can't like I can't fight it any longer. Because I think it, you're hundred percent right about like the, the the missed opportunities, just like yeah. and, and I feel like in service of the plot because honestly, the movie spends its first two acts being quite entertaining and quite interesting. Posing a lot of interesting questions. And once everything kind of distills down into, like, we got to get here to the final boss battle, this all has to culminate somehow. It kind of loses the threads that made it interesting in service of, like, I don't know, getting her down that hallway for some cheap, like, yeah. flashlight scares. Like, well, because even it, it's kind of wet. It's kind of wet and it's kind of sad. Yeah. Well, even Tiana Paris, too, right? Like, her character. That whole y- plotline is so interesting. Once they actually the thing about that is that they only bring that up the once
0: well they bring it back when her brother's like oh you know like we need to go and, and get dad stuff like it's it's time for us to talk about this and like maybe you could put on a gallery show and she's like never speak to me about that again like I don't right know right right that. right you're right um but-, but visually
1: but visually we're only really given that one scene where mm-hmm. her young self interacts yeah. with her father about right. to commit the act and it's it, it instantly was so much more interesting Like I I felt like I wanted this other rabbit hole we should go down through flashbacks or whatever or through her trauma uh, experience or whatever, but we don't get any of that.
2: Can I admit something that I'm a little, well,
1: I'm not embarrassed
2: because I'll tell you, but I, despite having seen, you know, the original movie multiple times, did not see the, it wasn't a twist exactly, but I did not put one and two together. Because the baby is named Anthony in the original movie. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> and the man is, na- and you know, they say Anthony is, his... you know, Tiana Paris is screaming his name multiple times throughout the movie, and they yet- say
1: the the her, his mother's last name in the first movie,
2: right? And and yet and you yet, have the information. It's right there. It's right there, and yet somehow it had completely escaped my mind. And it's
1: so good how they did that, though. It's so that,
2: good that, how they do that's it. That's a compliment to the movie, honestly. It's, a, it's it's so deftly done, and I think that it gestures towards. I I got the sense that like this. This film I feel like people always say this, like this could have been two films, right? There's a story about the candyman at like about like a black couple as the as the unwitting scions of the candyman's return to Cabrini Green, which they, you know, don't fully want to like you know what I mean? There's that story, but then there's also this other story about um Anthony and their name Brianna? I'm trying to remember yeah. the characters' names. Um coming, you know, both dealing with familial trauma right I feel like the film in trying to balance so many plates at the same time ends up not really doing a solid like a solid service to any of what of any of the plot lines that it's ultimately trying to um to lead with but what was sort of so impactful about Vanessa E. Williams' very brief um cameo in this um is that you immediately got a sense of the time and space that she had like taken up in this world, in a way that I never really felt was genuine for anyone else. Um, despite the fact, I think that part of the reason that I was a little bit surprised to be like, "Oh, that's the baby," is because I never really got a sense that Anthony felt at home or any sort of genuine familiarity for Cabrini Green. Something that was aside from, "Oh, it looks different," but truly like, "I've never been here before. I'm just he could have moved in
1: there. He could have moved in there two months prior, like right. literally from another city, and I wouldn't have."
2: Known the exactly. Wiser. but and and I think that there's you that, that there's a way in which the film could be sort of trying to gesture towards, oh, he's had a traumatic childhood. he doesn't want to think about it. but I think that that hurts the film because as much as 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 the person who ends up becoming the new candyman, I feel like the film could have spent a lot more time firmly rooting him in this space, be it physically, be it psychologically, um, in ways that would make this baton pass. Um, feel less like, all right, now Yaya yeah, yeah, is the Candyman, and more like, ultimately, the Candyman from the original film did accomplish his goal in a very roundabout way, right? Sort of tapping this person to become
1: his successor. So I, so I pose a question. I pose a question to that, actually. Uh, Valley brought this up earlier with the director's cut idea. Um, and I actually like having this conversation sometimes myself about film in general. So we, we, we miss all these aspects that were presented to us, just not fully formed. Would you have rather this movie runs 90 minutes, 91 minutes? Would you have rather the two hour cut of Candyman where you get a full two hour movie? You're in there a little longer, but you get like, you know, extended flashbacks of Brianna's childhood, maybe like some uh, some neighborhood building, like some other maybe another character or two. Do you want that two-hour cut? Because honestly, and I've talked about this with many people, movies have to earn two hours at this point. You're battling everything else. You need you got an iPhone, you got mini-series waiting for you at home on whatever max or whatever plus to get to two hours, to get to two and a half hours or whatever a movie decides to be, you have to earn that. And Candyman is like an entertainment at the end of the day. Do you yeah. really need a two two ten candyman? <laughs> I that to both Valerie and Charles, both of you. I mean, personally,
2: I I love the idea of a director's cut, but I mean, like, in my mind, what I think, and I think that ultimately the film does accomplish this, so, like, I'm not going to try, I'm not poo-pooing it when I say this. I think that this film was meant to be that thing that gets people like in the movie theater talking about the movie like yo this shit was wild right like Yaya was so fine Tiana was fine people died I screamed right like people you look I feel like as critics it is important for us to like step out of the bubble and be like talk to your family talk to your friends who aren't on Twitter and stuff and like talk to them about what their reactions are to it and the people that I know who have seen the film definitely got what they came for, right? They got jumps, they got scares, they got some beautiful cinematography. I know a lot of people were upset that the, the Say My Name um, remix was not largely featured in the film. That's just what it is. Yeah, but I think another missed opportunity. I think that um, while the film definitely did do that successfully, you can't help but recognize that it was trying to do a lot more. And that was definitely commendable, and I think that it was successful at some of it. I think that uh, a film that wasn't necessarily trying to be the end-all, be-all, I'm bringing everything about the Candyman into the 21st century and into the modern Black horror genre could have worked. Something that was like, okay, look, let's just do the, like, let's let's do the Candyman equivalent of the first Scream. Like, let's redo it and truly just go for something that's going to scare the shit out of people. So much so that when the sequel comes out, people will be prepared for truly horrendous, you know, jumps. But also... Um, a deeper exploration of the source material that's always been present in the franchise. Um, I I I think that, that that's definitely still on the like on the table now. Um, I don't think that Universal is looking at this and like, all right, let's never do one of those again. Um, but I think that because you do have these attempts at um, tapping into deep stories about generational trauma and healing and gentrification, because so much of that is present and accomplished to varying degrees of success in the first one well what happens in the next one right i think that was a large part of what not derailed but sort of ended up hurting the original candy band trilogy the first one had done so much successfully that when the project was given over to other directors they weren't exactly sure where to take it going forward and so they ended up sort of not trying to go for a particularly thoughtful route it was just like you know um, drifting away from you know the point uh, like we were talking about earlier um, I don't know I'm curious to see like what universal does next because it, it's at this point it, it's there's there's
3: gotta be another one I you know I definitely think would candyman have utilized two hours well I think so um but like Charles was saying like people definitely got what they came for because I think I think there were certain elements that the film did hit and that resonated with everyone unfortunately I would say about 90 percent of my friends are all film buffs in a way and so they all we all sort of talked it was a few of us that went to go see it and we all you know formed a semicircle and was pretty much like there has to be a longer film out there um because with I feel like Mia DeCosta and, and and Jordan Peele are such great, not just directors, but really great storytellers, and do subtlety well. That because that didn't happen, that didn't that it didn't necessarily necessarily feel like Candyman was like that for me, and I'm like, this is out of character. It felt out of character for for both of them for as in terms of the writing of uh, the direct the direction isn't a problem um it felt out of character so uh, i i i would like to see something that's a bit longer that explored at least one of the things that it was trying to bring up like yeah. is it about tortured artists is it about the the gentrification and then co-opting of art is it about um you know generational abuse and trauma and fighting against white supremacy like you know the like again like you guys said if the film tackles a lot of things but i would like to see it tackle one thing well yeah nobody brought this up which i found which i find interesting but i don't the, one thing i appreciated about the first film is the kills and the way that they were executed here the in in this film the kills were pretty muted and done off screen which I, I would actually like to know what was the reasoning behind that choice.
2: There is an artfulness to some of them. That's like, okay, sure, you're showing me a girl getting dragged away in a camera. I mean rather in a in a mirror, in a in a compact mirror. That's very nice, but I, I also know that somebody just poured a bucket of blood over, you know, behind the toilet stall. Like that's not quite it's not quite giving it. Whereas, you know, in the first film you see you see the hook and you see the you're like oh no like he's he's just gutting them some gnarly
1: shit in the first he's like, one he's like
2: I'm gonna get you from groin to gut and it's like yeah that damn like that's who where is he
0: <laughs> well I think that brings us to a, a question that I want to ask um because a part of what from listening to uh Nia DaCosta talk about one of her intentions with the film and and it's a very interesting and valid point to bring up in terms of what we want to see from black horror and that's she there was an intentionality to not just show black pain, black trauma, black violence, violence done to black bodies in an unnecessary kind of like popcorn gory way. Like there was supposed to be some intentionality to things. One of the reasons that they did the puppet, like the shadow puppet reenactments is because they wanted to lessen the amount of just like, if we do a flashback to Tony Todd being brutally murdered and all of that stuff, like what is the value in that when we can just show you through the shadow puppets basically the same thing. And that lessens the visualization of black trauma and black pain on screen. And so part of what- Why
3: can we see the white folks get chewed up in the bathroom? (laughs) Well, I right, think like, you, it,
2: see you see that shot of the film critic and she's getting dragged across in her high rise and it's like, no, 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 but like, show me that up close, not because I want to see They get her. a gnarly
1: one. They but both, the, he... the art critic and his little intern, yeah. they both get but they're pretty very, gnarly.
2: They're, they're, it's because they're, there are so many, I think, there's so many like disorienting dramatic shots in this. You can tell like the cinematography is so sort of like gunning for the, I want to show you something weird. And it's like, okay, but like, show me the murder then. Because You've already successfully created the atmosphere, and I don't think that explicit gore would have ruined the atmosphere all that much. You bringing up, um, like you bringing up uh, the film's desire to sort of like lessen the depictions of black, like black brutalization. I think that one thing that the film does really, su- really pretty successfully is sort of squarely hold a mirror up to itself and other, like, other films and TV shows that are spotlighting. Um, black trauma as you know or rather black trauma through the lens of horror right like it is very much in vogue in the moment and the film is sort of unsubtle like the film's unsubtle like what if an artist decided to take a bunch of black murders and turn them into like his big his big gallery opening um
1: sidebar did you finish them jordan i never started it
2: i never
0: even watched an episode i got three
1: episodes in Fucking could, wow. I want to do
3: that to myself. No thanks. You yeah. said so you
1: wouldn't do that to so yourself? Yeah, I had to give it a try. I knew a couple of people who were on it. God damn. Like, really? They just, like, American Horror Story being Black in America. Us. Yeah. That's exactly what that show was. It was yeah. so gross.
2: And the thing is, this the show wasn't actually scary. right? I and it, wa- it wasn't. It wasn't even,
1: like, unsettling.
2: That through half of it. It's not that the show was scary. It's like, Hi, do you want to see some people get ripped open? Um, and I think that oftentimes uh, horror understands that that like the visceral feeling that you get from seeing that,
1: coupled you do with, have to
2: have that cu- but coupled with, you know, the other elements of successful horror can definitely make for a really intense and like provoking experience. But the biggest, you know, the biggest sin them is guilty of. It's like, this isn't scary. Like you're just showing me people be murdered. And that, that in and of itself is supposed to be the scary bit. And in the end, it's like, well, what if the devil was the source of racism?
1: And it's like, yeah, what if, what, what if, what if Yeah, so thin, so thin. But go yeah. ahead, go ahead, Jordan.
0: Oh, well, because I, I, I guess wrapping all of these into one thing, though, is part of the big issue with this movie in terms of the horror of it all is that when you compare it to the first one, the first one definitely had an atmosphere, right? The first one definitely had a feel to it, it was the sure. music, it was, you know, the way that they, they went for the scares and the kills. And I think that's kind of the, how, how do you balance that, right? Because obviously, no, I don't want to see Saw with Black people where we're just being put on contraptions and like torn <laughs> apart and like all this stuff, right? Like that's not what I'm saying. But also when you, because another interesting choice that they made, and I'm going to read into this in terms of symbolism and maybe what they were trying to get at is we get a new Candyman, for a majority of the movie. And this Candyman is uh, a mute man uh, who was in the 70s in Cabrini Greens. He is, you know, kind of like a outsider figure. It's never said outright, but it's you can tell that he probably is dealing with some uh, mental disabilities. And like he's got a hook for a hand for whatever reason. And he... Is kind of like in the walls giving kids candy, and he gets murdered by the police because they think he's giving candy with razor blades to more or less white children, not the black children community mm-hmm. grades. Um, and so he becomes candyman, right? And I I think part of what they were trying to get at is like you don't see him right you don't hear him right like he doesn't talk that was one of the things about Tony Todd in the original Candyman is like his voice and just the way that he was kind of like almost like a like a like a cat purring right like when he was coming he never raised his voice really like uh, except for a few choice uh sections and he was never out of control right like he was very smooth and and here, like Candyman doesn't talk ever at all, right? And so I think part of maybe what they're trying to get at is like, this is like these people don't have a voice anymore, right? Like they were murdered, they were killed. This is a repeating cycle because now there's multiple This as, as part of the mythology built into this movie. And so you know, it's it's I think trying to speak to the nature of like black death as a repeating cycle, but also like these people don't have a voice in the world and society anymore. So they're kind of these voiceless, almost faceless black bodies that just get brutalized, killed, dispose of. And then we don't say their <clears throat> names. We don't repeat their names throughout history, you know, because part of the thing with Cabina Green that I have to question is there's a few Candy Men, right? But like how many people do we not know their names, right? How many people did the police kill that we just don't know right. about? How many people who were, were just kind of left to the devices of the state or just life that like just yeah. died in this place. And we never, they never get spoken of again, right? And so part of the horror that gets missed out is I think they they try to do the symbolism with Candyman where like you don't see him, right? And you don't hear him and you don't, but he's just like almost an embodiment of black rage or black pain lashing out at whoever dares to speak his name, right? But you, you miss some of like the eerie creepiness, right? Because they never really build that atmosphere around Candyman. They never really build that atmosphere in those scenes where people are getting killed. Like it does kind of feel like, okay, yeah. Like these white girls are going to say his name and like, now we're going to watch them all get murdered. Like, you know, <laughs> with the critic, it was kind of like the question of like, well, did she say Candyman five times? And like, of course she did. So she gets murdered. Um, right. the, the one thing I do question though, and maybe this is, kind of what you were speaking to Charles just in terms of like black pain doesn't really have boundaries in terms of like who it affects and who it hurts because they do make the choice to kill this black girl Mm -hmm. uh to add to Coleman Domingo's character's story is that Mm -hmm. you know his sister and I guess maybe another girl another sister or friend are in the bathroom they say Candyman Candyman murders them right um and I wasn't quite sure that felt gratuitous to me in the sense that like he already had a built in motivation right. for wanting to bring Candyman back and now we're doubling down
2: on it by killing two black children. And then you could look at it sort of like, oh, does being, how does the proximity to that kind of pain perhaps twist you and build to you becoming obsessed with it? That is an idea that, but I don't think that the film really tries to go that avenue, or at least not all that successfully. And you were mentioning earlier how through the use of the shadow puppetry the film does sort of build out this mythology of the candy men the whole hive of them and while it definitely makes for some really interesting visuals you mentioned that make me think to myself like all right like let's let's logic this out so let's think think of the candy man as just like an epidemic of sorts right does does it just keep spreading and then well what does well what's the point then right it's sort of even though we understand that ghosts don't always operate with logic, when we're looking at sort of like the logic of a franchise, it's like, well, what is the ultimate goal that we're working towards here? Like, what is ultimately where where, where does this go if we take it to its logical conclusion? And the idea of just um, undead spirits coming back across the country and raising communities left and right, that just doesn't... For some reason, that also feels sort of like... A too, a too simple, a too simple sort of like projection for what the Candyman like legend could be, right? That sort of almost paints it, it has it has a way of flattening um, the ideas that it's trying to talk about into this literal boogeyman that we're all supposed to think of as being scary because of its like um, its gravity, but we're not actually supposed to engage with like the substance of it. So I mean, it's it's again, it's one of those things where it's like, ooh, like if this had been the entire point of the film, perhaps there would have been a more nuanced unpacking of it that would make me feel a little bit different about its presence in the story. But because it's so crammed in there with every every other thing, it's kind of like, ah, it doesn't quite work.
0: Well, and back to the ending, because I think that's an interesting connection they were trying to make is that, like, part of what Candyman is, is, it's a story about mythology, right? It's a story about stories that we all tell, that then gain power within themselves. And when stories gain power, you know they, they kind of ripple out and can have different effects on different communities, right? And so it, it feels like what they're trying to do is speak to like trying to change the narrative and change the mythology around Candyman. Because it seems like it, I, I don't, this is where they really needed to clarify things, right? And where I would have really preferred a bit more push and pull with Anthony because it feels like Coleman Domingo just wants to turn him into like a spirit of vengeance to just kill indiscriminately people who come to Cabrini Green, right? Like that's basically what he wants. But A, how does does he do that? Um, And B, like to turn Candyman into a protector, right? Like that's kind of what, that's the implication, right? Brianna at the end looks into the mirror. She says Candyman five times. Candyman comes, does not kill her, but kills everybody. All the police around her, sets her free. Side note: she's dead because she is in a abandoned project with just a bunch of cops who are also dead. Two other dead bodies, and she's handcuffed. I don't think the police are going to let her tell everyone. I think she's probably going to get shot. But um, she, she is there to, she invokes the name of Candyman and Candyman comes as kind of like an avenging angel to protect her and to protect black people in peril from either white supremacy or you know white violence. And while that is an idea, I also say like, how, how do we get there? Like what is the through line where we kind of evoke that idea into something real? other than just like, isn't it cool to see Candyman like kill the cops? Like, isn't that what we wanna see? And like, I've heard a lot of that where people are like, oh, we got to the end. And I was like, yes, that, that was everything that I wanted. But I left the theater kind of feeling like, you know, what are we saying? Are we saying that Anthony is a trapped, like trapped in circumstance and he's doomed and destined to repeat the cycle of violence upon black men because Co- Coleman Domingo calls the cops. Like that is part of the the tableau that he set up is like I call the cops and the cops kill you and you become a martyr and thus become Candyman. Is are we insinuating that Anthony, since you know Candyman in the original is kind of feeding him the honey and kind of priming him for something, was he being primed for just destruction to you know take his place and become Candyman? Or are we insinuating that Candyman can change? based upon what is needed from
1: Candyman? Well, I think you're (laughs) that was a lot of thoughts (laughs) Um, and a lot to impact. But honestly, I think what we're rubbing up against is all those great thoughts you just had and all those really interesting detours and thoughts and Uh, ideas that are presented to you for that first like you know 70 minutes of this really get distilled down into like plot points to get us out you know get us get us to the end across the finish line Mm -hmm. and you can feel it because you're like okay well what is Candyman up to and what has Candyman been up to this whole time if you're talking about these notions of legacy right because it honestly doesn't feel like it chalks up to a whole lot at the end, or at least anything discernible. Yeah, because
2: it was, also, it was like a little unclear as to whether or not Anthony's presence in Cabrini Green really got the Candyman like hyped up, like oh, this is the one, like baby, let's go, like I've been right. waiting for this one. It was like, but it's like no, you get the sense that he has been humming along in the background, um, yeah. and there have been other Candymen across the country due to you know like throughout history. And presumably they've been active, perhaps not as much, as the original Candyman out there in the wild. But when you, I think that like the film does And that notion
1: is new to this movie too.
2: It is. And I think that that's, it's very much um, like a it's, it's a, it's a horror trope, like rings. Like we all remember seeing everyone on the plane. It's like, oh shit, tomorrow's going to get them all. And I think that that's certainly something that the Candyman could broach. But I think that within this film, there is, there is a, a moment pretty early on where... Yaya yeah, yeah, does a lot of uh, face acting in a moment where it's dawning on him that uh, the murder at the gallery is the reason that his n- name is in the news, right? And the, the realization sort of hits him, and it's really dark and twisted. And I thought to myself, "Oh, like that's where this movie is going," you know, almost sort of um, crash. Not, um, not the, not, not that crash, but the the, the car crash. We could uh, talk about that one too. No, no, no. no, no. We're talking. We're talking about the. Uh, the car crash film, I, I'm not going to get into it now, but sort of where he's sort of um, voyeuristically... Cronenberg's crash. Cronenberg's Crono- crash, thank you. Right, right, right. Um, you think I thought to myself, oh, perhaps this is the direction that the film's going to go in in this really sort of um, interesting introspection into the life of an artist who becomes fixated on the idea of his own people's pain being the only, only avenue of success. The film just doesn't really try to take that anywhere. And I wonder why, because even though its presence in the film definitely feels like it's being critical of itself, I think that's actually great. Like, I think that coming into 2021, Candyman understands that in the original film's wake, a lot of other films have tried to do the thing, and a lot of them have sort of gotten the genre to a point where it's not always great. And simply by existing, it's sort of inviting more, perhaps, of the films that aren't as solid. But it's like, all right, that's a burden that I can bear just because I have something interesting to say. And yet the film just sort of sets it aside. I I, 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 it's it's sort of like my biggest disappointment in it because I feel like in turning that critical gaze at itself, it does something that none of the other films ever felt bold enough to do. And seeing it, you know, seeing it just left there on the table is just like ah, oh, why? Because it doesn't feel like it's ever going to be able to come back into the franchise quite like this.
1: Well, we're really discussing like how. Uh, the movie presents us with a lot of ideas of gentr- gentrification, legacy, um, with uh, trauma, a black trauma in the ghetto, these things. And at the end, it kind of doesn't really culminate to a whole bunch. And we were asking kind of like, where, where are we lost or what, are, what have we lost? as the movie kind of loses itself to its own plot machinations?
3: Uh, We lost the horror. We lost the... I think sometimes, especially what's been a lot of... What's been a problem with many of these films that have come out recently, which um, I guess is now dubbed as woke horror, um, is they get so lost in the message that they forget to tell the dang story and they forget <laughs> to be scary. Um, you know, I think especially at some of these, um, some of the older films from the eighties and nineties um, involving uh, black folks, even some of even some from the black exploitation era do well because they don't for, like Donjon Hess for example which is like one of my favorite big,
1: big fan of ganja and hess over here i have a signed copy of the vinyl big fan
3: one of the, my favorite horror movies i just i don't know i guess i'm just i guess it all depends on what you like to see in film i'm i'm a big horror fan and i love subtlety i like i like reading in between the lines and being scared of that like mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Freddie Krueger and all that has never really scared me because they, you know, they're just like monsters or whatever. But, you know, stuff like Get Out and and um, things like that were, were things that really stuck with me because of how subtle they were. So I just think that it was, I just think they forgot about what was most important. Um, we already know that cops are no good and how they treat black males so Mm. what else are you going to offer um and that is i think that they were just missing a lot of uh elements there uh in that realm where was it it didn't read as scary to me it's a it's a decent film in that regard but i i wasn't scared by anything so
0: well i think that brings us to uh a point that I want to ask about kind of transitioning out of this movie in particular, but into black horror as a whole. And speaking to the, the Jordan Peele, Nia DaCosta of it all, right. Where like we, we are, we are in a moment now where it feels like black stories are in vogue. People want to see us. And, you know, part of a line from this movie is like, you know, they, they love what we make, but they don't love us. Right. Like just thinking about, what it is as Black artists that we present to mainstream audiences specifically. Um, like what is it that we are looking for as Black people consuming horror, right? And these stories at large, because I think part of, part of the issue we're running into now is, is this is no fault of Jordan Peele's, right? But it's it's the Highlander theory where there can only be one right and right now he is the one right he is black horror like he is the face of it. A lot of people ascribe a lot of things to him he's the reason that this Candyman movie got made. And the, I think he realizes that and that's part of why Nia DaCosta was brought on because I, I think he does not want to be not just pigeonholed as a horror director but also like every horror script that comes across, you know, these studios' plates, they're going to be like, oh, Jordan Peele. Like, Jordan Peel's going to do that, right? right? And not only can he not direct at all, but in terms of what we get as an audience, right, like, there's been, there's been ups and downs, right? Get Out, great. Us, great. Twilight Zone, I don't know. You know, people had mm. questions about Lovecraft Country, and now, you know, there's questions about this movie, and, like, it's not that there's, like, A problem with Jordan Peele I'm a big fan of Jordan Peele but also getting horror from a lens that's not Jordan Peele but also from black people still I think is an important thing so like where do we think horror from a black perspective is going and what are the things that you you want to see in that genre as a black fan of horror
2: I mean I think that it's easy to get the sense that like all of horror that has anything to do with black people sort of gets sucked into Jordan Peel's orbit. But I think that the existence of things like Lovecraft Country does point to the fact that like there are your Misha Greens out there who are like, we can do it too. And we're out here working in this space. Um, They're sure antebellums to Correct. a lesser and degree. That... And I think that so I think that way lesser degree something that I I find difficult to express writing sometimes is because it's kind of just difficult to put into words quite like this. But what I personally, as both a critic and a fan want, to be honest with you, is more but better of what we're having, which is to say, we are not being spoiled with, but there is a lot more content, content, there's a lot more art, there's a lot more work for us to appreciate and to consume. And I think that that is the progress we should be able to be like oh like this wasn't it for me i didn't care for it and we should not have to these films should not be, necessarily have to bear the burden of being the one right the one that's going to knock it out of the park all the time quite frankly i don't need every horror movie to be get out i don't always want to sit down and think to myself yo isn't the entirety of our like country's history fucked up yeah, but I'm not really always gunning for that and I think that the you know with projects um, like um, you know Peels you know Peel's directing work like Nia DaCosta's work like Misha Green's work what we're getting is like we're seeing you know we are seeing talent come up and sort of establish themselves as a part of the industry and sort of really um, usher in smaller projects we have you know your thems um, and what I personally want um, is for, you know, the presence of black creatives working, the presence of black critics, you know, critiquing, to just continue so that we can, you know, see what's coming next. Um, I think that Candyman's return was sort of inevitable, and while there definitely probably will be a sequel, um, Candyman can't be the end-all be-all for horror. I don't know that I always, I I don't wake up thinking, like, here's the kind of black horror movie that I want to watch, right? Right. I didn't wake up thinking to myself, I want to watch a bunch of kids from the Bronx fight vampires, but yeah, I loved it. That's great. Hell yeah, more that shit, but I don't need more of that specifically. I need for the environment to be um, open to those kinds of projects being greenlit so that they can just like pop up on Netflix and I can be surprised to shit that something is like really delightful. I think that- You want the space to
1: fail. You want the space to, like, think... everybody should have the space to fail because it's like, all right, you fell on your face, now get back up. All I mean, right. how many <laughs> shitty movies have been made?
2: And it's you know? like, and and, and we, we you know, we all we all have an understanding that like regardless of what your specific function in the industry is, be you a director or an actor, um, you grow with time, right? And I I I was listening to one of the cast members of this is not directly horror related, um, I think it was Daryl Stevens who was the lead actor on Noah's Ark, talking about responding to some of the criticisms of the show's acting, and he was like, Yo, you don't understand we were a bunch of queer black leads in our first show. Like our first show. And we were like really new at the time, but we were green, bro. Like that's just what it is. And it's like you you look across the board when you look back at people, the earlier you go into people's bodies of work, you know, they were still in the process of becoming. Um, that's what I'm saying now is not new. But I think that the danger that's baked into the question that you're asking is always like, well, what, what different things does black core need to be doing? I don't know that, that the industry aside from greenlighting more projects, you know, written by Black folks, created by Black folks, with Black people, you know, directly involved in the creative process and not just sort of being trotted out for, you know, clout and points. That's what, that's like, that's what I want. Um, like, create the space for us to create.
0: Uh, Valerie, what about you?
3: Um, I agree with Charles. I think to place the full responsibility of that change on specific people um is is not the answer. I think it's I think it's calling into question the industry as a whole and uh you know allowing those doors to open so that people can create the things that they want to create um instead of relying on one person to create everything because I remember like after uh, Ava DuVernay had directed Selma, everybody was like, oh, let Ava DuVernay direct this and direct that. And she was like, I, I'm just one person. Like, what are you talking about? And this industry that's so dominated, you know, white male dominated is so afraid to give others a chance because they know that, okay, well, we have this one Black person who's successful. So let let's let them keep making things instead of giving someone else a chance. I think that there needs to be room for all of them. And we have to normalize failure uh, among uh, black talent. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't the end all be all for Nina Costa or Jordan Peele. I know that their work is good and others should know that their work is good. Some people have missteps nobody makes it, nobody questions missteps when it comes to Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese, but it's always, oh, you know, we'll never get another one like this again. Like that's, that's not, that's a misconception. They will have a sequel to Candyman and it will be better. Um, I, I don't I think know.
2: The, I think it 's important though, like there that fear that there won 't be another on the one hand it 's not that we shouldn 't be concerned, and that, I think that 's something that often gets lost in the conversation right we 're not being we 're not no one I think is out here believing, oh yeah, Hollywood is just going to put its full faith in black projects going forward because we see so often that that 's not the case right. Mm-hmm it's this weird, it is the weirdness of the industry. You both know that black projects do exist, but there is no guarantee that the black projects that seem assured on paper will actually end up being assured in the end. But I think that what we as like critics and fans can both do is like walk and talk at the same time. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, like this wasn't it, but like, all right, I'll see you again, I'll see you next year. Cause, and and, and there, shouldn't, there shouldn't be this presumption that Try it again, no. and let's see what happens next time. You know, when was the last time you? When was the last time you were talking to someone who was like, "I did not like that movie," and it, and not short of being offensive, they're like, "Well, I just, I, I've made a point of blocking that director out of my life entirely. It just doesn't work that way."
0: Well, it's the, it's, it's like I think about After Earth all the time in the sense that, like, <laughs> here's a, here's a, here's a movie with it's a sci-fi movie with black people in it black leads you know black actors it bombs and it's like oh i guess black people don't like sci-fi it's like no we don't like bad movies
1: no, like we, make yeah. a better <laughs> movie with us we in like it quality just like white people we'll watch it
0: you know <laughs> but that's it, it is that pressure right that black audiences feel is like oh here's the one like we get this one and like if we don't see it we don't support it we don't speak well of it then the message that's going to get back to hollywood is like oh maybe they don't like that John, we're like, we shouldn't make that again. And it's like, no, 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 no. We just don't like this shitty movie that you made. But if you make a good movie, we'll definitely go see it. And for me, I, I think specifically, like Charles, you brought up Vampires vs Bronx. Love that movie. Movies like uh His House, you know, like there's there's horror out there. His House is
1: great, yeah. That
0: that's that's great that black people are making. And I also think back, and this is you know true of all minorities, right? Like, how many Black people, brilliant Black people, just never got the chance to make a horror film, you know, that they had in their mind. Like how many brilliant Black directors, screenwriters, actors, like never got the opportunity to make a movie because they were like, oh, Black horror doesn't, isn't going to do that. Like horror does numbers on its own, right? Like horror movies make make money hand over fist because they're so cheap to, to produce oftentimes. And so when you think about Black audiences, really it, it it comes down to like wanting, like we've all been saying, like wanting to see that variety because I I love Get Out and I love Us and I'm definitely looking forward to Nope. And like, you know, I want to see all these movies that Jordan Peele is making, but I also feel like it's not even that there's other Black people, but when in any space, right? Like if, if we have one voice that is dominant and it's not Jordan Peele's fault, like he's not trying to dominate the space. I think it's just they... Like, he's going to get the, he's got the juice. They're going to greenlight his yeah, movies. Yes,
1: they crowned him king already.
0: Right, and like I said, with Candyman, like, it feels like he's aware of that and is trying to, you know, open up the space to other Black people and allow, and, and usher in, you know, new generations of horror creators so that next time Nia DaCosta wants to get a movie made, Nia Costa gets a movie made, right? Like, Jordan yeah. Peele is not, he doesn't have to be involved. Like, her name is cemented. She gets to do, whether she wants to do horror or something else, but also with all these spaces, right? Like we're, we're living in a time where we've got how many streaming services, how many, you know, podcast services, how many, you know, like different venues for media, like there's all kinds of avenues for black people to be doing this stuff. And like, I don't know if anybody read Bottom Feeders by Ezra Clayton Daniels and Ben Passmore, but it's a horror graphic novel. That's basically what this movie was in the sense of it's about gentrification in Chicago, But it's instead of being like body horror, it's building horror, like the building comes to life, and is, you know, attacking the the gentrifiers living within, right. And so like, there's a lot of different spaces for us to consume horror as black people, and a lot of spaces for us to create horror, right. Um, But it really is just about those avenues opening up so that gonna see every Jordan Peele movie that comes out unless he does something you know <laughs> crazy and wild <laughs> but right, uh, right. I, w- I would like to see more voices within the space because I think the more variety you have like we always say we're not a monolith there's a lot of different things that we're concerned with and would like to see yes we'd like to see movies that take you know virtual trauma because that's what horror is right like horror is us being able to confront These you know terrible things in our lives, these horrible things that scare us in a safe way, right? At a safe distance to be able to consume and kind of think about these ideas. But black people think about more than race, right? More than like that. There's other things that scare us. Spiders scare us. Heights scare us. Like you, like there's a lot of different things that you could get into. All racist
2: spiders.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, like, I I think even getting into there's different types of horror, there's psychological horror, there's cosmic horror, uh, you know, there's more of that thriller suspense, like Hitchcock kind of horror. So there's people out there that want to make it, they just have to have the space to, to create it,
1: to be given a chance.
0: I'd like to get us out of here. Just thinking about like, when you look at Candyman, as a whole, right? Like this is, like we talked about. It, it took on a life of its own. Like Candyman almost became real. Like from from the movies, like people were like, Candyman is Candyman is not a myth. Candyman is a real thing. Like when you when you think about Candyman and the lasting legacy of the character of now these four films, what do you think? What do you think Candyman's lasting legacy is, um, and where do you think the franchise has the room to go in the future?
2: Hmm. I mean, I think at this point we can all uh, recognize Candyman as sort of being a seminal film, and it's not just a cult classic, right? Um, we've a lot of people have been having conversations about how people did not know about Tulsa, Oklahoma until Watchmen. Um, I don't know that it's it's not a one-to-one comparison, but Candyman has functioned in a, it's functioned in a very similar way um, for many audiences who perhaps did not have. Really, I'm, I'm, I'm a keen understanding not just specifically of um, what happened to the actual Ruthie Jean, but rather um, the ways in which like lynchings are, were a com- like an America a common a, co- a commonplace in America, and not just sort of these horrific events that were cause for alarm and out of the ordinary, but regular occurrences that sort of defined us as a nation. And I think that Candyman. And the body of academic work that has sprung up around the franchise will exist, you know, long after we're all gone as sort of a text for people to really be able to look at. Um, In the future, I think that with horror movies, it's a waxing and waning cycle, right? Like you've got, you know, your, your great periods where everyone's really excited about the hype and sort of, you know... The, the think pieces that come out and the ideas that people have, and then you do get to a point where it's like, all right, this is the fourth movie in a franchise, and um, we've got two teams of Candy Men fighting over a new condo development, and you're like, mm, maybe we should just let it go fallow for a while, and that's okay, and that's okay. Like the point is, the point is always to just like, look, Freddie and Jason, they'll be back, right, and the Candy Men should be able to come back as well. Uh, Valerie, what do you think?
3: I don't know. I'm gonna my expectations open. That's something that i'm that's something new I'm trying to do these days, especially when it comes to films and and its sequels. i'm I'm leaving myself open to interpretation. Like I know Candyman has received some pretty harsh criticism recently um from you know a couple of critics, which is you know they're entitled to that and everything. Um, and I think mainly because as I've read, a lot of people's expectations are extremely high. And for me, I'm just learning to taper back those expectations and try to judge films on their own merit, not what I wished they would be. The only expectation I, I am going to have is that you know it's better than this one, and that they have more time and a bigger budget. That's all.
1: <laughs> uh, Cameron, what about you?
3: Um,
1: yeah, I think I'm optimistic. I'm I'm mainly optimistic about Candyman. I mean, honestly, like Freddie and Jason, he's become a seminal figure in young black life. I think Candyman rumors still run out there. You know, they run deep. The Candyman rivers run deep. Like I said earlier, I'm left with it as an entertainment, and I had a pretty good time. I wish for like the Candyman sequel that we'll probably get down the line five, four, whoever knows many years down the line. Yeah. Given more time, given a little bit more space to interact with the outside world of Candyman. But yeah, overall, like I had fun and I'm glad black car still exists out here in other hands than Jordan Peele. Well, I mean, he's very much so, and this is <laughs> yeah, he's super involved. He's like producing it, yeah. But like, I, I'm glad it. that I'm glad that the branching is happening, though. I'm glad that oh. like there's batons being passed, and you know what I mean. Absolutely. And the opportunity, and I hope yeah. for more opportunity to fail. I guess because I don't think, yeah. but I don't also, but I also don't think this is a failure, and I don't oh, want no. that to be like my opinion that's left on it. Is that I don't think it's a failure. I think mm-hmm. it's, um, I honestly think it's kind of a success. In a yeah. sense, that it got made, it's enthralling and interesting and exciting for most of its runtime. It, as a movie, just happens to fall apart. And I think that we have to be okay as critics and as consumers of black horror and black art and black mainstream art. We have to be okay with sometimes it's not going to work out. Sometimes it's not going to be like a knock out of the park. It's not going to be. Get out nominated for best picture. Like we don't have yeah. to give Candyman best picture nomination for it to be, or it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to perform like Black Panther, or it doesn't have to be these things. It could just be like a fun time at the movies for everybody involved. You know, yeah. I don't want to be like the rainbow guy here. We're all you know hands across America, and we're all we're all good. Uh, shout out us, but. <laughs> You know, like, I'm glad that it happened and I'm glad that we got it. And I had a good time. I definitely had a great time picking apart the, the horror scenes of it all. Yeah. Um, and I had a great time with, like, the fun that the movie was having along the way. I mean, it's not, like, perfect, obviously, but you can tell the movie's having fun in moments. And I'm glad that we got that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if I had to give the movie a
1: grade, I'd give it a B. Like, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'd I I give, like give it, like, a give it, like, a B. Between a B minus and a B. Yeah, you know
0: like it's 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 good it's entertaining it does a lot of good things I think again I love all the actors in the movie I love so many of the ideas that they were getting at and so many of the things that they were you know setting up I
3: Mm -hmm. just
0: think it it is I think it's a it's a matter of a movie with just immense expectations a movie that undoubtedly undoubtedly yeah like felt like a lot had to be done, not to justify it, but like to live up to those expectations. So there was a lot of things in it where it kind of felt like they were trying to reach and speak to a lot of different people on a lot of different issues, instead of kind of just settling in and focusing on, say, a movie about, you know, a a kid who was born in cabrini Green's comes back to Cabrini-Green, you know and this new gentrified area and now is grappling with that or a movie about yeah. you know these two people grappling with their own generational trauma while being haunted by the generational trauma of Candyman, or you know pick a thread pull on it expand on it you know right. i think they, they could have centered it in on that um i think Candyman in general is is again just like a a one of the few works that like outgrew its original intent and concept, right? Like, I don't think Bernard Rose was like, Candyman is going to live forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> nope. I think he was like, yeah, this is a fun movie. Like he wanted to make yeah. it. And I think, you yeah. know, everybody involved, you know, everybody hopes that, you know, anything that they make has, has this kind of lifespan, but, you know, Candyman definitely has expanded outside of just film and has grown into actual myth in and of itself, which is probably the
1: the, the best thing you could hope for if you're making a horror Honestly. movie. Honestly. Like, um, For the work to live outside in the real yeah. world,
0: yeah. yeah, so you know, in the future, I think part of what I would like to see from the Candyman franchise is just kind of if we're if we're getting into all of the things that this movie brought up like my last criticism of this film is I, I wish that they would have resolved the trauma like I wish Anthony would have gotten the chance to
1: to resolve his trauma.
0: Yeah. Not Candyman. Yeah. Because I'm like, you can't make
1: another Candyman. If, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> you can't make another movie if you resolve the drama.
0: No, no, no. Yeah. But like he's he's kind but of the character. Yeah. Yeah. He's pulled into this position where like, you know, Coleman Domingo's is pulling him in one direction of like, you know, I, I am. I am black rage personified. Like I want <laughs> yeah. to destroy lash out, you know, for all the things that have been done to us. Like, here's an opportunity for you to do that. And then, you know, Tiana Paris is like, you know, we can heal, you know, like she's pulling him in another direction. Like mm-hmm. not, not that we can be better than this, but like, we don't have to repeat cycles. Like we can break cycles yeah. and, and be something else. Um, so, you know, I like to kind of, if, if that's the road that we're going down, I'd like to kind of get into that in future Candyman installments about like, if, if Candyman is about trauma, repeating trauma, how do we break trauma, I guess, or at least, um, you know, come to grips with trauma. But I think this has been a great conversation. Uh, we talked a long time.
1: <laughs> we did.
0: Uh, you know, Valerie, unfortunately, had to leave. But Charles, go ahead. Let everybody know where they can find you on the internet, where they can find your work, all that good stuff.
2: Um, Yeah, you can find me every day on io9.com. I'm a film critic, staff writer, writing about, you know, all things comic book, comic book movies, that kind of thing. Just genre entertainment in general. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Charles Pulliam. Um, I didn't get interesting with it. It's just my my first <laughs> last. What um, government? Yeah, it's just my government my name. Um, and yeah, come. Uh, I don't know. I'm not gonna say come hang out. I'm not that kind of social media person. I don't encourage the parasocial thing. But um, yeah, come check out some of my work.
0: Uh, and I'll drop Valerie's info here. Uh, you can find Valerie at Valerie Complex. Also, you know, not not doing breaking the mold with it, but. There at Valor Complex on Twitter, I'm assuming other places as well. Uh, you can read Valerie's
1: review of Candyman at Den of Geek. Cameron, what about you? You know, out there on the social medes as the Blipster 11:38. Um, I make sketch comedy with my group Two Karen with Love. You can find us on YouTube at Two Karen with Love. You know what to do. Uh, and other than that, look out for a script I made to get produced. Hopefully. Mm. Mm-hmm. Manifestation, that's right.
0: <laughs> and I'm Jordan Clark. You can find me at jrsosa18 on Twitter. You can also find us uh, this podcast on Twitter at white underscore pod. And I didn't get to play any drops, but I did get this one, so I, I might as well just play it now.
3: We're well, here. You're looking
2: for Candyman, bitch.
1: Which is just I, love
0: it.
1: <laughs> just, what a yeah. nice one to pick. What a what a good one to pick. Yeah.
2: What was she I, doing in the bathroom? Get <laughs> out! <girl? laughs> <laughs> like, oh, God, that took me back. I'm like, girl, like you. Yeah. No,
1: no, no. Yeah. It's
2: the eternal question. <laughs> the eternal
0: question. Uh, it, is. Well, it is. Yeah. Right. Well, on that, thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks
2: so much,
1: guys. Peace. can't save us we don't want to want be safe can't save us we don't want to be saved can't save us we don't want to be safe can't save us we don't want to be safe can't save us we don't want to be saved it can't save us we don't want to be saved can't save us
3: we don't want to be safe can't save us
1: we don't want to be saved